0: Hundreds and welcome to Tabs Inside 50, the soon to be award winning podcast. And what an all star lineup today Shane Crawford and Natalie Yanidis. Nat, you're smiling because you're bombers. They've nearly put you out of your misery for the season <laughs> 2020.
1: I was wondering where you were going with that. I was going to say, I don't remember smiling on the weekend. Uh, yeah, we're nearly there. Thankfully. Um, So, like you said, out of misery very soon.
0: Now, unfortunately, it has been a tough year for your Bombers, but you did prove you're a very good judge because you told the listeners the very first time we had you on this podcast, do not trust the Bombers, (laughs) do not trust their ladder position, they are no good.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And I tell you what, you'd be laughing if you're Melbourne at the moment because when they were supposed to come up against Essendon they were flying. The Bombers were flying. They'd won, I think, a couple in a row and Melbourne were really struggling and all of a sudden Melbourne need to win this to get into finals and they've got Essendon that they're down the bottom and, well not down the bottom, but you know, struggling so much. So they'd absolutely be laughing at the moment.
0: And Shane Crawford, as we come to you, your comments last week created a bit of a discussion in the footy world about players and it not meaning the world to them. I know Daniel Harford ran with it on 3AW and They spoke about some of the body language from the weekend after teams had lost.
2: That's, yeah, I suppose you just from uh, sitting back in your your little house watching on TV, you know, I I think the care factor's got to be, you know, way over the top. And I just don't think players look like they hurt that much after losses. Where going back to my time, which is when the horse and cart were around, (laughs) um, like it just used to eat away at you, you know, straight after a game all week, it was something that, really, you know, it was it was hard to live with because you're just right, I've got to get back on track, our club's got to get back on track. Uh, you got to have that drive. I, I applaud anyone who can actually <laughs> make it not seem like a real hard job and, and take that out of it. But at the end of the day, it's, you've got to you've got to live and breathe this. You've got to fight for your life. You've got to fight for your position. You've got to fight for your part in the team and, and you've got to fight for your team to win. That's what I think. And uh, I'm thinking back to then, there's a lot of players – who, uh, who are now retired, they're very much in that same mould and same thinking as well.
0: Now, I could sit here and ask you what it meant, Shana, and I could sit here and ask you to walk me through how you reacted after a loss or when Hawthorne was struggling, but I think the best way to do it is to go to a book recently written and released, Jared Ruffhead's autobiography, Ruffy, with Peter Hanlon and published by Penguin. One thing that stayed with me from the trek was a dinner we had on the last night Everyone had a few beers and Clarko instigated a group exercise where we went around the tables and everyone
2: had to say something. When it got to Croft, he broke down. He'd just turned 30, had played for 12 years without getting close to a premiership and he was coming
0: off a season he'd started with a chronic back injury in which he broke an arm that became so badly infected he was in and out of hospital. He'd given up the captaincy at the end of 2004 too. And here he was in Kokoda, crying his eyes out and saying, I just want to win. That's all I want to do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It might have something to do with the chafing while I was a bit emotional (laughs) at the end. No, I I did like – that's when I was um, really thinking about do you stay around, do you move on, we're starting from scratch again. And, you know, my whole life had been Hawthorne and my love had been Hawthorne and then – it just felt like the love had gone away and um, you know we obviously did Kokoda and I was going through a lot um, emotionally with the club I was trying to reconnect and trying to to see where uh, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and and yeah it would have been interesting because that was buddy Franklin's introduction to Hawthorne Jared Rufford uh, Jordan Lewis Suriola. that was the, that was their introduction to to Hawthorne going on this camp and putting a backpack on and dodging the snakes and walking through the jungle so it would have been pretty confronting to them sitting down at the end and talking about like everyone sitting around a huge round table talking about where's the club going what are we trying to do and then they get to someone like myself who they probably didn't know very well and then I just opened up and and let it all out I, I felt like I needed to I needed to just show how frustrated and angry and I could remember even when Peter Swab was coaching I'd take in a list every year what's wrong with the club you know what's wrong with you know from a playing point of view or or yeah facilities we need this or we need that not that we needed great facilities but we just needed some things so that wasn't uh, I remember taking it to Ian Dicker as well the president of our football club so I was just a love and just wanted the team to do better And, um, you know, if you live and breathe it every day and you really care about where you're going, you do, you get highly emotional about it, especially if it's not going the way you want it to. So when
0: was that Kokoda trip? Can you remember the season on the back of what had happened?
2: Was it 205? I don't know. All I remember is just going to that jungle in the first, I don't like snakes, (laughs) right? So obviously being told we, you know, six or seven days we're camping, uh, they're going to push us to our limits. And at the time, my back was still not good, but I, th- I thought, no, I need to be a part of this, especially with new players coming in, but also new coaching staff. I'm like, I just need to be a part of this. But we would fly in this little plane. They flew us <laughs> into this little field and we landed and we saw these mountains. And then we just, one plane load jumped off, then another plane load jumped off, and another plane load jumped off. We had a whole team then and off we went. Within the first two kilometres, I saw two dead snakes on the side of this path before we we're about to head into the jungle, and I'm like, "This is not good." <laughs> I'm hating this, but um, it was it was a great experience, and it's something that Alistair Clarkson uses today when uh, he brings new players in. They all head off to Kokoda, um, even if it's every second year now. But they all have that experience because it's about understanding, you know, the sacrifices people make for our country. But it's also There's a lot of pillars there that the football club uses from, you know, mateship and sacrifice. So there's a great connection and synergy with what the club does now. So, um, yeah, it, it was just something that brings up a lot of things. You think about lots of, you know, you think about your life, you contemplate all sorts of things. You know, where am I going? What am I trying to do? What do I want? And at that time where I just let it all out, I just wanted the football club to be better. I just wanted to win. I just wanted us to be better. And I just felt that we... We were a long way off that and um, we were pretty much in control of where that was going. and We all needed to be on the same page.
0: What are your thoughts hearing that, Nat?
1: It's, it's really interesting to, to hear you speak about it like that because obviously we've spoken so much recently about players not having that passion or not appearing to have that passion, players laughing after matches, laughing at halftime, at break. So it's really interesting to, to see that passion and exactly where it comes from. And you just wonder if it does still exist or if if those kinds of players still exist that it just matters so much to them that, you know, that they would bleed for their club in that way, particularly with the way we see players traded so often. We talk about loyalty in football, whether or not it still exists. We, see, we don't see that many, you know, um, one club players or it's mo- less common to see one club players. So it's really interesting to, to hear your take on that.
2: Yeah, you can definitely see with some players that just the way they play and the desperation, and maybe maybe we're being a bit harsh. Maybe we're being a bit harsh because this year is a, <laughs> a bit of a weird year, you know. And they're in the hubs, they're away from families a lot of the time, and and the you know the first time they see someone else that they know reasonably well or someone they played their junior days is straight after a match where they get to have a quick chat and go, how are you going, how are you hanging in there? So maybe maybe we're being a bit harsh, but, you know, I think if if this is what you want to do for a living and you want to do it for as long as you possibly can, you, you do, you've do got to hurt, like you really have to. And I, I remember the hurt that we would have, you know, all week that you would have it with you until you could get back out there and, and try and change that. You know, it wasn't something that I'd just quickly move on and go, oh, well, that didn't go too well. And a lot of people would go, hang on, you've got to move on. But no, you got to carry that hurt and you've got to make that really drive you the next time you get out and perform.
0: A big thanks to one of our listeners, Christian Bliesner, for sending in that audio, which was beautifully read by our producer, Luke Dottermaid, from Jared Ruffhead's book. And I have heard nothing but good things about that book for those that are interested to get involved. But it got us thinking about some players that just do what the fans love. And it means the world to them. And Crawford, obviously, playing for Hawthorne was everything and more to you and we've seen so many players go on and do great things for the club since that point in time but I think a lot of players that don't have great success that still want to win that badly are the ones that the fans really gravitate to and I went through and made a bit of a list and I know Nat's done the same and number one for me is Matthew Richardson. Now he was everything that Richmond fans wanted in a player because sometimes his emotion got too much but I think it just showed he wanted to win just as much as anyone, and sometimes he couldn't control that emotion. That was evident in 2002 when first-year player David Roden handballed over his head, and Big Richo lost the plot at him and got dropped as a result. We laugh about it now, but at the time, he was just so frustrated. He played his entire career at Richmond and won just one finals match in 2001. So that was quite incredible that the great Richo was there for all that time for such little success. St Kilda, I'm going to say star defender, Max Hutchton, 234 games for the Saints. A lot of times the emotion just got too much for him. He came close with no cigar on several occasions and couldn't quite get the job done. At the other end of the scale, one player that had a lot of success, but it meant so much to them, was Andrew Mackey. He was so competitive and so serious that he struggled to socialise with Hawthorne players when he would see them post-retirement at the races because for so long they were the enemy and it's easy to hate the enemy and sometimes you get all buddy-buddy with these players. Now you get a photo and a selfie and a high-five after the game. To Mackie, they were the enemy and they were stopping him. And it brings us on to the man we're about to discuss, Cade Simpson, who had such a wonderful career at Carlton. But Nat, when I think about these players, that just it means the world to them and the supporters love them for it. Who sprung to mind for you?
1: Yeah, the first player that came to mind was Max Hudgdon, Of course, we remember those scenes from... Oh, a couple of years back now where he was crying after the match, spraying the water bottle on his face to get rid of the tears <laughs> because they'd lost. And it was at the time he was criticised for it. We were saying, oh, how can you be so soft? What are you doing? Crying. But when you look at it now, you think it was just passion. It was passion. He wanted to win so big badly in a team that hadn't had that ultimate success they had those few years where they got close but they didn't quite get there so I think that we look at it in a very different light now from an Essendon point of view a lot of those players from the early 2000s and Croft you would have played against a lot of these guys um the ones that really come to mind immediately Dean Wallace is one Mm. that you think you'd go he'd go to war for the club wasn't the the best player on the in the team, but would have been one of the first picked under Kevin Sheedy, just the way that he presented and the way that he pretty much it meant everything to him. Uh, another player that comes to mind is uh, Mark Johnson. Mark Johnson, just a, a gritty little defender. Again, not the best player in the team, although I think he might have won a best and fairest one year. Just he would be the first player in there. And I'm sure you probably got into a few scruffles with uh, some of the Essendon boys in your time. And he would have been the first player there. And if we are talking about players, you've you've probably left out one of the greatest, in Glen Archer, Glen Archer, boner of the century, just meant everything. Oh me.
2: yeah, and he hated uh, you know an opponent kicking a goal, hated losing. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony Stevens is another one from North Melbourne who would just throw his body on everything, and you could just see that uh, it just meant the world to him to to give his all. You, you can go through all it all the clubs. There's players that stand out a lot. You know, they can be run-with type players. They can be the defenders who are prepared to run through brick walls. Yeah, and it's it's what your club needs. Your club needs players like that who you watch every week and you go, have a look out desperate. I played with one called Campbell Brown, who's a meat axe. Um, <laughs> and he would run through a brick wall if he had to. He'd run through the fence if he had to. But he sort of just played like, you know, this is my last game. I've got to fight to the very end. And, and that's... That's what you want. You want to see that passion. You want to see that desire. You want to see that hurt when they're hurting. You know, Paul Lecuria was one who cried after the grand final, which, you know, you've lost the grand final, but, you know, I can still remember him with Mick Malthouse and, you know, just how much it it tore him to bits. So, yeah, you've got to have that. You've got to have that. You need that. And I love that. I love seeing players who are frustrated, angry, emotional, all sorts of things because it shows to me they care. And you'd look at Gold Coast, you know, recently there was uh, the defender who was talked about, Collins, yeah, who was smashing pylons in the change rooms and you could just see, you know, that's to me someone who's frustrated with things that went on at the game but also frustrated with his own performance. And here's the first one I want to pick, I want him in my team. I want him in my team because I know he'll do everything that I ask him when I'm coaching
0: when you were at Hawthorne and a new player would come to the club, how quickly did that sort of thing rub off on you? How quickly did you notice, oh, this bloke, it means the world to them or I'm not so sure about this guy? Well, my
2: very first trading session uh, where I got a, got in a punch-on with Andy Collins. Andy Collins had been at the football club for a long time and had to really work hard. He was a back-pocket player who, you know, got the most out of himself. he They used to call him serious pills and... You know, there was just no way he was going to give up his spot. There's no way that he wanted to, you know, ever finish up his career. And the very first day we had a training session where we were allowed to hit each other. So the whistle would go and I had to hit him in the stomach. The whistle would go, he'd hit me in the stomach. But this was on a really hot summer day at Glenfrey Oval and very sweaty. And it's my first training session. So here I am teaming up with a guy who's played a lot of football, being a part of some premierships and been a very good player. And he sees me as opposition. He sees me as someone coming in to try and take his spot. So I'm hitting and then every now and then I kept slipping up because of the, uh, the sweat and I got him in the jaw a couple of times and then the whistle went and he gave me a few warnings. The whistle went and everyone to stop. And as the whistle went, I got him a third time and it was on. Like we just started punching on. And the good thing is my old football coach from school said just AFL football's different. It's not like football at school where everyone works together, it's a bit different. you've got to stand up for yourself and, you know, there's lots of individuals and you'll work them out. So you've got to really stand up for yourself. And I'm lucky he said that to me. So I stood there fighting Andy Collins and we had the whole ring. So the whole – at that time there's probably 50 on a list and they're all around and here I was (laughs) trying to not have my head knocked off. Andy Collins is seriously trying to wrestle me, trying to punch me in the head and I'm doing the same back. And that was it. That was my first <laughs> training session. That was my introduction to Hawthorne. And and that, for me, just showed, what about the passion? He doesn't want to, any, anyone to take his spot. He doesn't want, you know, he wants to be a part of this team. Even his own teammates, he's going to make you earn the respect. He's going to make you earn, you know, the trust and, and earn your keep. And then I had a few of the older players, you know, Darren Jarman and Ray Janke and that came over at the end and said, don't worry, <laughs> he's always like that. He's always punching up with people at training. That's just the way it is. It's not like that all the time. So that was my introduction. But you know what? He, he was great to play with because I just knew that he was going to do everything he possibly could. He was going to leave it all out there. He was going to empty the tank. You know, From a physical point of view, he was going to do everything he could. And I knew that if ever I needed help out there, he was there to help.
0: And you do need those sort of players in your team. And there's one at the moment that is going to go around in a team that could potentially win the premiership. And on talent, I don't think he'd be in the top thousand in the AFL. He was delisted by the worst team in the competition in Carlton, and now he is doing everything and more that you want in a footy club, and that's Mitch Robertson in Brisbane.
2: Yeah, it's a great example.
1: It's actually a very, very good point. We've seen. I think that Mitch Robinson's really been able to to come into himself as, you know, he's been able to show his personality a little bit more up in Brisbane. There's not as much scrutiny from media, although he has been uh, the target on social media a bit uh, over the last few weeks. It's been really good to see the way that he's helped build that club because – as we know, there's been so many players that they go up to, up to Queensland to finish their careers and so forth. But Brisbane have really been able to hold on to a lot of those senior guys that have been able to, to really build a culture, particularly under Chris Fagan, and I'm sure he's really enjoying it. I mean, you, you would have a bit to do with Chris Fagan, um, and I'm sure that he's really uh, helped him embrace that, that passion and that personality.
2: Yeah, Chris Fagan's a beauty. Yeah, and it all depends on the role that you're going to the football club for too. So he'll really back you in and go, "This is what I want you to do." And if you keep doing it and you keep, you know, applying yourself the way that Mitch Robinson does, you're going to keep, you know, your spot in the side. And it, like Chris Fagan's a, a beauty because he's a coach a, of an AFL side, yet he still rings people up from the past and he'll ask a question: "What do you think about this?" What do you think about the rotations? What do you think about this? So he's always trying to gather information, not necessarily people who are still involved in the game, but people who watch a lot of the footy. And I just think that's a, a sign of a, a great coach. And we're loving him. I always get disappointed with the coaches after games when when they've lost and they give us a really boring post-match. Flarko. Well, okay. You know, like just straight bat, whereas there's a few coaches that are start heading that way and it's – When they win, it's like that. When they lose, it's like that. They've got to give more. They've got to give more to the supporters. They've got to look and take a leaf out of Chris Fagan and what he does. He smiles. He jokes with them. He gets angry. He's very serious. He really listens to, you know, the questions coming his way. So I think there's a lot in that. And I think it's really important for members and supporters to see coaches be frustrated, be happy. And be complimentary and so forth. Whereas at the moment, I just think we're getting into playing Jane with a bunch.
1: I think that there's nothing more frustrating as a supporter than when you've had a really bad loss and a coach comes out and says, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're building and this is where we're going and success is around the corner when you haven't been able to actually – you've got eyes. Don't, Don't insult me. I've seen exactly what's happened out there. And I think of Essendon in particular. I know keep coming back to the Bombers, but for John Worsfold to say, you know, we're building, we've been building for years. Come on, tell us what is actually going on. I think nothing is more frustrating when you're a supporter than listening to that.
0: One player that the supporters absolutely loved was Kate Simpson. He had a terrific career at Carlton personally, fronting up week in, week out, and one of the most popular players I've seen in recent times. And here's a bit of Quinn trivia for you. (laughs) Cade Simpson played at 16 grounds in Australia throughout his AFL career. 16. How many grounds did he have a winning record at?
2: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, 16. So we're talking... May, did they play down at Tassie? They probably wouldn't have won down in Tasmania.
1: I think he had a winning record at the Gabba.
2: Maybe f- four... Five grounds. Five grounds out for Out of the 16, is it?
0: Natalie?
1: I'm going to say three.
0: Cade Simpson had a winning record no, at no grounds in None. Australia. None. The only ground he had a winning record at was in New Zealand, where Carlton played and won
2: at Wellington. Where was it? Once
0: that? in Wellington on Anzac Day team. against St Kilda. So, that
2: is. A, where not did you Metricon? find that stat? That is I've incredible. I've got a brilliant
0: producer. Not at
2: Metricon. That, not at Metricon. So
1: they lost.
2: So no interstate matches were ever the won.
1: Suns. Wow. Ha. Huh. There you go. Uh, strangely enough, he also had like two possessions in his first couple of games.
0: Started slowly. What are you going to remember most about Kate Simpson?
2: I uh, well, he was just a, a class player. You know, he would he was sort of like the architect down back. Really, would set them up and get them going. You know, who's always providing that extra number back himself against his opponent and just go and get the footy. Yeah, they'll they'll definitely miss him and his, his run and and link up and his skill. So um, I I thought he probably could go on for another year. But, you know, that sort of, yeah, I suppose maybe his body's had enough. Or was he told over the last few weeks, you know, we need to make a bit of room uh, moving forward? Because I reckon Eddie Betts will go on. Uh, There's a lot of talk about him finishing up. But I I reckon he'll have one more year. And I think that's a good thing. A lot of people are saying, no, he's he's probably done and dusted. But I I think you get him back at the MCG, you know, underneath – Kurnow when he's going. I, I just think, you know, he'll still give great delight to those blue supporters next year when they're allowed to go along to the footy. So um, I think he's also really important with some of the Indigenous boys coming through and having that sort of mentor and guidance, a bit like the, the Sean Burgoyne decision.
1: Yeah, I I mean, he's had an, an incredible career. When you look back at some players and you think of superstars, you're probably not going to think of a Cade Simpson. It's not going to come to mind first up it's not going to be the first play you think of but when you actually look back at the stats he's had a really illustrious career hasn't had a lot of team success but has been there and has been consistent so I think that Blues fans will think very very fondly and no doubt he's going to get a really lovely send-off probably very similar to what we saw from Bryce Gibbs the other day as well which was absolutely beautiful over there in Adelaide.
2: You like that with uh, yeah, I did like it. The opposition players carrying him off, even though he spent a lot of his time at uh, at the Blues, but obviously becoming an Adelaide player.
1: Yeah, I I really Good. really liked it. I think that the the boys that carried him off were in his bridal party, so obviously they're all very close. He hasn't. We're not going to remember him as an Adelaide player. Bryce Gibbs will probably remember him as a, a Carlton former number one draft pick. Obviously, it's been a very, very rocky ride for him over the last couple of years. I thought he'd get a few more games this year after um under a new coach, under Matthew Nix, particularly when um yeah when Don Pike left. I thought we'd see a little bit more of Bryce Gibbs this year. But it's been a, a tumultuous period for him at Adelaide, and I think that it was quite telling that the Carlton boys cheered him off at the end.
0: You didn't, Croft?
2: No, I had no issue with it. I, no, there was a lot of people that did. I don't know why. I'm like... <laughs> Whoever wants to carry him off, carry him off. I had the president carry me off once <laughs> in my 200th game.
1: That's because you were busy giving him um, <laughs> letters about how to improve the club.
2: No, and it's, it's like what all of a sudden he picked me up and uh, it was against Geelong. We played Geelong at Etihad Stadium and I was walking off and David Loates, big, big ruckman, big loader, he grabbed me and then all of a sudden Ian Dicker, the president, who's a lot smaller... <laughs> So I was lopsided <laughs> and I had the president carry me off and the players are looking at me going, what's going on here? So uh, I don't think it matters. Whoever wants to carry off, carry off. Um, you know, Bryce Gibbs has been a wonderful player. Cade Simpson, uh, also a wonderful player. And, yeah, I had no issue with it. I, I'm all for it. I, I just I'm was just disappointed. Gary Ablett and Joel Selwood, star of the year when they played 300th game and was it 350th, same game. They weren't allowed to be chaired off. I'm like, serious? Just grab them and lift them up. Who cares?
0: I wonder if people that had the problem with that would have had a problem if Carlton had a produced a bit of performance on the day. I think Carlton was so disappointing and so lacklustre that First maybe that quarters. aggravated a few, then seeing them carry off an opposition player at the end of the game. Croft, put away the board games. The AFL rolls on, and so does Tab's AFL Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets all in the one bet. Available online for every AFL game this season to tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Gambler's help. 1-800-858-858. Now, we have got a question come in and we need some help. (laughs) Uh We need some help because we've got a few punters that have sent in questions, wanting some assistance, but this for mine is the best one I've seen. Because a gent has sent in a message about a bet he's got this Friday night. It's the final leg and he wants to know what to do. He spent $20 on a multi-bet for a $560 collect if St. Kilda beat GWS. He's got four options. Lay off on GWS the win. Bet on GWS at the line where they're given a start. Let it ride or watch and maybe lay off in the run. Now, so far on Twitter... 67% of my loyal followers, and no doubt some of your followers, Nat, thanks for retweeting, have voted to let it ride. What would you do, Nat?
1: I've had to think about it. Originally, I thought you probably need to get on to GWS, but I reckon it's a much better story if you let it ride. I think it's much better to say that you won $560 off a $20 bet against – and, I mean, it's not like St Kilda – you know, they're going in as favourites, so it's not like they're – Playing, I don't know, like a Richmond or someone like that. So they've got a pretty good chance of winning. I reckon, just let it go.
2: Absolutely, no doubt about it. Don't even hesitate. Just let it go. Yeah, back the Saints in. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's a nice little win. Well done if you can get it across the line. But uh, yeah, don't don't hedge your bets. Just you've gone along that path in the first place because you thought that was the case. So don't doubt yourself anymore. Just go with it. And you know what? If if you lay off and you. Go have a little bit on GWS, and guess what? GWS being the team that they are, they'll let you down. <laughs> so, you would have wasted an extra 100 on GWS, and you think, Oh, why didn't I just back myself in? Just go for it, oh, don't hesitate, just go.
0: I'm bucking the trend here. I think you've got oh, yourself Quitty. in this position, Quitty. you've got to make a profit. Being so, too safe. I would spend another $105. I'd have $5 on the draw at half-time or full-time at $26. (laughs) And I'd have $100 on GWS at the line. Now, the good thing about Mm. taking the line is if St Kilda was to win by one, two, three, or four points, everyone's a winner. You win your second layoff bet and you win your initial multi-bet as well. And if GWS do go on to win the game... You've turned 125 into 192, and I think that's a good way to punt any day of the week.
2: No, you're punting like it's a business. <laughs> no, we're, we're punting to win. Got this multi. I let it ride. How good is that, you know?
0: Do you know how many times I heard, <laughs> oh, if only this had of won, it would have got my multi up. Oh, I missed the last leg. D- take the risk out of the equation and make money. You've got this far. You've got to cash in.
1: No. I'd love to know what else was in that multi. What leg was it? Did this is say? the
0: final leg. Did you say?
1: Did he say? How well, many I know there was? one of the
0: other legs was the NFL the other day, and he had the Tennessee Titans against the Denver Broncos, and they won with a field goal with two seconds left. So, oh, wow. I think his heart's slowly returning to normal after that as well. I
1: think he's already through the woods. There, he's had his scare. Just go for gold. Go for gold.
0: I like it. It'll be interesting to see what art. Uh, what do fans think between now and <laughs> yeah. the end of the week? But you two said, let it why, ride.
2: Why, why don't you invest with him? Why don't, why don't you say, I'll contribute some money and this is what we should do?
0: Well, I don't think he's going to let me in the bolty now, seeing <laughs> he's got St. Kilda running for 560 off a of 20. <laughs> don't think he'd be happy to share that with me now.
2: Well, he, he might if he's going to let it all ride. Well, if he's worried, if he's worried, you know, and you're saying that he's worried about how it might, about the outcome, you know, go and say, listen, I'll offer you some security. This is what I think you should do. At least that way you've, you're going to win this. And by the way, because I've helped you there, here's my contribution. Uh, you think you I much. need a little
0: sling for my advice? Well,
2: you know, I, I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just like you with this podcast, I do it for love. Uh, Don't need any money. Uh, now, that brings us... Beautifully. This is probably the best segue we've ever had into the game Friday night. St Kilda up against GWS. It is a must-win game for both teams. We know our multi-punter will be listening. For everyone else tuning in, Nat, who is going to win this big game Friday night?
1: Okay, originally I was thinking maybe GWS can get up, but having watched that game, I watched the Melbourne GWS game again and their forward line obviously isn't functioning. We can see that they've... So over reliant on those small forwards at the moment, the likes of Toby Green, Brent Daniels, as well. Um, so obviously their big guys just aren't performing. Poor Jeremy Cameron is in all sorts. He's so down on confidence. Whether or not that's got to do with the way that they're actually playing more than what he's doing, he seems to be.
2: Or his future.
1: Well, that's another thing, that's, isn't it? It's uh, lost uh, th- th- a no lot of money. No one's bringing that up at
2: the moment. Whereas he, he hasn't been himself. We know he's a wonderful player, mm-hmm. but he's out of contract. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, and, and it can, sometimes uh, things that are going on off the field can really affect you on the field, where, which people go, well, why? Because your head's just in a different space, thinking and contemplating things. And maybe the way that he's going about things, ma- maybe there's something in that. Maybe, maybe there might be a move on the cards.
1: Well, it's also probably worth noting that he's probably one of the most unlucky players with the way that COVID's hit financially, because he had such a back-ended, heavy contract. I think it was seven – did he sign a seven-year deal, a six-year deal, something quite long, and it was quite heavily back-ended. And then with the cuts, the player cuts – he's actually lost quite a lot of money. So I wonder if that's also sort of playing on his mind uh, at the moment. But regardless of what it is, whether it is, you know, his off-field issues or whether it's the way GWS are playing, a couple of times the ball was bombed in to the goal square and it was Stephen May on Toby Green last weekend, which – is obviously a ridiculous mismatch. But you just wonder where Jeremy Cameron is and all of a sudden you see that he's the one that's been kicking it in from outside 50. So whether or not that's got something to do with the way that he, you know, he hasn't been getting it on the scoreboard. They need a lot more from their midfielders, I think. I think they need the likes of... Did the captain I mean,
2: come in this week? They bring no, him back after dropping last week? they bring him
1: back. Well, that's that's another kettle of fish completely, isn't it? Yeah, well, or not. He, was,
2: he was such a star player. He was, there was a lot of talk about him moving coming to Melbourne, then signed a, a big deal now with the captain. And now he's been, well, I think he would have been told early in the year or halfway through the year that your spot's in jeopardy because there was rumours about him being dropped. And then finally he got dropped. So you just sort of wonder what's going on there. Has he not recovered from his knee issue of last year? Has he, you know what, What's actually happening, especially when it's your captain because you give your captain every chance to play. Did you ever get close to being dropped, ever? Oh, please, come on. <laughs> I, was just, I just thought I'd throw it out there. No, um, it's almost insulting. No, but Sorry. he's – yeah, gee, what? That's going to make me cry like I did when I was with Ruffy <laughs> and Kakoda. No, no, I think coming off injuries, though, sometimes you lack confidence and it takes a while to get going. And, you know, once you know the spotlight's on you and everyone's talking about you're not playing that well. But he got dropped off a 22-possession game or a 20-possession game where people look at possessions and go, oh, he played well, but – that must mean that he's not doing the team things. So that, that obviously means that he's not setting up right or he's not uh, positioning himself where he needs to and then, you know, he's kick-chasing. Some players kick-chase a lot when it's not necessarily the best thing to do. So, yeah, you just wonder what, what's actually going on behind closed doors. I'd love to know what's going on with GWS, with the Giants. And I know Jimmy Bartel. we go hard at him. We need to get more out of him because... You know, we, we said a while back that we just can't trust them and they've proven that. And then when you look at Leon Cameron, if they don't make the finals this year, he's been re-signed for a couple more years. He doesn't make the finals this year. With the talented list that the Giants have had over the last few years, including this year, That that's not a great recipe for moving forward. So I'm sure they're all scratching their head trying to work through it. So that whatever they do this weekend, they've got to win. They've got to find a way to win because a lot of pressure will come on that football club and rightly so with the talent that they've got they've got more talent than any other list really when you look through it and and especially over the last five or six years no other football club has had the amount of talent go through that football club
0: who'd you tip on the tab app
2: i tip the saints why because i just don't trust the giants i trust the saints with their method and the way they go about it um no zach jones is a bit of a, a worry for me but They do have similar type players who haven't been playing a great deal, so maybe they get an opportunity. But I I just think if you look over the last four weeks with the Saints, they've been – yeah, they haven't won some of those matches, but they've been close, and you trust them. We're starting to trust them. They rested a few players last week. King got rested. So I I hope the Saints win because I think they deserve to, and I think it'll be great to uh, see them in the final. I think they'll be in the finals anyway. I think the Giants have to win by about – 50 plus points. There
0: needs to be a five and a half percentage swing between Melbourne and St Kilda. So the Saints would need to lose heavily and Melbourne would need to win quite heavily. So it's possible. It's been one of those yeah, seasons. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely possible. And Melbourne's up against Essendon. Who knows what they'll dish up. So Well, Essendon I think this, will dish
2: something up. You, yeah, you just don't, don't know Don't you what. worry because Essendon will uh, want to finish off on a reasonably positive note.
0: Will they or have they just totally lost interest and Melbourne need to win? If Melbourne go to that game... After St Kilda's lost the night before and Melbourne know win by this much and you're in the finals, I'd want to be on the Ds at the minus.
2: Yeah. I, see, the, de- the demons for me. I knew they'd play well last week against the Giants and I knew the Giants had put up a fight. But sometimes you have letdowns. You know, they've worked so hard to get themselves back into this season and sometimes it's like all those horses that try to get into the Melbourne Cup, they go to uh, the lead-up races and then they get to the Melbourne Cup and they go, yep. <laughs> they've got nothing. So I just don't trust Melbourne against Essendon. Are you tipping the Bombers? No, I'm not. But I just don't <laughs> trust Essendon. So it's a no-bet I game mean, for you, is it? No, I'm, I'm tipping the Demons. But it wouldn't surprise me if Essendon, especially if they can get a bit of school board pressure early, get their tails up and about, Which just wouldn't surprise me if they give them a real run.
0: Well, you've forgotten more about the Essendon Football Club than most of us will ever know. What will they do Saturday night? Uh, Surely
2: they'll put up a fight.
1: Oh, I'd like to hope they would. They played okay in that first quarter against Port Adelaide. I think they ended up going down by 50 points in the end. Essendon are a momentum team, I think it's fair to say. And assuming Joe Danaher plays, then that certainly helps their forward structure. That's going to help the likes of your Tip and Woodies. Stringer. Stringer, who is well off the pace at the moment. I think it's fair to say since he's come back from injury, he looks
2: uh, – He came back from a knee or was it an ankle injury? I
1: think it was a syndesmosis. Yeah, because um,
2: those type of injuries, you know, they take, they take years, like, yeah, years he, to get Yeah, he just going. hasn't
1: looked right. No. He hasn't looked right. And no. while it does help their structure a little bit, he's not – Really, there. He's just not quite at the level you'd expect from Jake Stringer, particularly at the start of the season when he was playing well before yeah, he, he got was. injured. So that was really disappointing. If they can get a bit of momentum, I reckon they can lead at half time. But actually keeping it up for four for four quarters is going to be difficult for Essendon, particularly with very little to play for at the moment. Hoping for a big game from Adam Saad. Really feeling for him at this stage. He's got a big decision to make about his future.
2: Where's he going to go? Do you think he's I going to be pushed out?
1: I want to say that he's going to. But it's going to be his call and I wouldn't blame him if he left, to be perfectly honest, because he left the Suns hoping to get some success, came to Essendon and all of a sudden it looks like he was probably better off staying at the Suns. I think that bombers have promised a lot of players the world the likes of Dylan Sheal as well who came over from GWS and they're just not delivering at the moment and it's really hard to see exactly where they're going to break through. Uh, obviously they've got their coaching contingency plan in place. Worsfold's going to be gone. This will be John Worsfold's last match uh, as an Essendon coach. What does Ben Rutton really want to bring to this team? Does he want to play a style that's similar to Richmond and does Essendon have the calibre of players to, to really really put that game plan in motion? Probably not. So it's going to be really interesting to see exactly where Essendon are going. I I don't see exactly how it's going to work because they've got a lot of players that are are nearing the end of their careers. Tom Bell Chambers retired just the other day. Hurley's getting towards the end. Cale Hooker was dropped last week, which was a very interesting decision, particularly given they were coming up against Charlie Dixon and Port Adelaide. So I just don't know where the improvement's going to come from and that concerns me a little bit.
0: A worried Bombers supporter, not for the first time in (laughs) 2020. All right, it's time to finish the show with a bang. We need to work on our sound effects and get a drum roll because it's time for our best bets for the weekend. Who's going to open the batting?
1: I'll go. I think Collingwood are a good bet this week against Port Adelaide. I think they're paying about $2.30 head-to-head. I reckon that they just a completely different side with Jordan Goey in there. Jordan Goey just transformers, transforms that forward line so much and it allows someone like a Mason Cox to to get his hands on the footy. Bro- Brody Majcek's been a little bit out of form probably for the last month, but maybe having someone like a Jordan Goey up forward takes a little bit of pressure off him. Adam Trelaw's also come into the team. He's brought something. Uh, Scott Penderbury was a little bit quiet by his standards as well. Uh, the other day. So, I like Collingwood. I reckon they can give Port a run for their money heading into finals. They're just hitting their straps at the right time. And they'll
2: be fighting over the prison bar jumper too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Collingwood currently 235 outsiders and given a six and a half start at the line. And you're spot on with Pendlebury. Zero possessions at quarter time. But after that, though, he was terrific. And one of the key reasons they ran over the top of the Gold Coast Suns. Croft, what will be winning this weekend?
2: Well, every time I've tipped against the Hawks... (laughs) It's been right. So I think the Suns will defeat the Hawks, even though Puopolo and Stratton playing their last games, uh, they're playing a lot of kids who just aren't ready. So uh, I think the Gold Coast Suns will run them off their feet, as they do. I thought they were pretty good last week, the Suns, and I reckon they'll want to finish well. But if you want to get a bit greedy, chuck the Suns into Richmond by 25-plus against Adelaide. Yes, Adelaide have won three in a row, but we're talking about top versus bottom. And when when Richmond, yes, they're missing a couple of players, but they're bringing in Edwards in, who I just think's one of their most important players. I really rate him as a player, and I just think the pressure's on there to maintain your spot. So don't worry about Richmond just turning up and ticking the box. They'll be turning up to make sure their system's good. They'll make they'll be making sure that they all play well to give themselves a chance to play in the finals and maybe be a part of a premiership. So uh, I think the margin will be. Pretty good, twenty five plus points to the Tigers.
0: Well, Jared Ruffhead wrote about you crying, and I can just see a tear or two in your eye as you tip against your Hawks. Tip against talks. the Hawks, it's not uh, easy for you. Well, to do.
2: yeah, I don't like tipping against the Hawks, but it is what it is. They uh, they're just yep a long way off, and they've got lots of young talent who who were just fighting their way. So it's quite obvious. Get on the Gold Coast. Natalie, can you please do
0: two things? One, pass Shane one of those boxes of tissues to wipe those tears away. <laughs> and two, and most importantly, give us a winning multi
1: Okay, this is what I'm Here thinking we go. of Come on. Week. I'm
2: writing this down. All right,
1: write it down because…
2: Essendon, <laughs> Essendon, Essendon, Essendon. <laughs>
1: Everything against Essendon. No. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Collingwood head-to-head against Port Adelaide. Fremantle head-to-head against the Western Bulldogs. I like the Dockers. They're going awesome. I really like the Dockers. If you're a Fremantle fan at the moment, I reckon you're licking your lips. There are some very exciting young talent. Matt Tabern is going to be a gun. He's not quite there yet, but you can just see the potential. I like the Dockers. And uh, just to finish it off, Geelong by 1-39. I don't think that they will kick a huge score on the Swans, but they will certainly beat them. And that will get you a payout of $11.11. Nice there a, you nice
0: go. There is our coming. promo for next week. Absolutely love it, Nat. My best bet this weekend, I'm going to take a five-leg multi at just under odds of $3. <laughs> West Coast, <laughs> Melbourne, Richmond, Brisbane, Geelong all winning.
1: You're so boring, Quinny. I'm
0: a boring person, but just like, like my you know layoff strategy, done, <laughs> just like my <laughs> off strategy in that multi, light. you just got to make a profit on the punt. You can't go broke making a profit. Yeah,
2: five—that's five games. You're relying on five games, Quinny. Five games of can't entertainment. You just pick one game and and pick a one to thirty-nine margin, and you're not far off that price. <laughs> you know what happens
0: then, don't you? One of the team wins by 40 points. I hate the 1-39 to 39 when you're barracking for a team all game and then towards the end you go, oh, no, I need to start barracking for the opposition now because they're going to win by too much. <laughs> we want them to kick away. It makes it less stressful and more enjoyable. But it's been a great show, guys. A big thanks to our people that sent some messages in. Christian, who sent in the transcript from the Jared Ruffhead book, and our punter, Steve, who has the Saints going for that nice loot on Friday. Good right. luck to him. Hopefully, whatever decision he makes... He makes the right decision. You've been listening to Tabs Inside 50. As per usual, please gamble responsibly.